Okay, today I'm talking to Paul Doherty, Group Chief Executive for Technology and Chief Technology Officer at Accenture about his new book, Radically Human, How New Technology is Transforming Business and Shaping Our Future. First of all, thank you so much. I have my advanced copy here as well. I feel super blessed to have had the opportunity to read it and I really enjoyed it. So maybe we can start by exploring what motivated you and your co-author Jim Wilson to write this follow-on book to Human Plus Machine and who this book is aimed at. No, th thanks uh, Bernard for having me and I'm really pleased to be talking about uh, Radically Human. Uh, and uh, the, the origin of the book was um, you know, it, it came after Human Plus Machine, as you just said, and we were, we were really pleased with the reaction to Human Plus Machine and the idea. We wrote Human Plus Machine because we wanted to correct the narrative that we heard back then. This is four or five years ago that, you know, you know that, that uh, all the jobs were going to be destroyed and, you know, the AI and technology was, was going to be bad, have this bad effect on humans. And we wanted to set the narrative straight by talking about the human plus machine future, the right way for us as leaders and technologists and business people to shape that future. And that and the reaction was was great. And we've seen the narrative change around people embracing that human plus machine view. And then where Radically Human came in is when we looked at that and looked at how fast some of the trends were advancing, some things were moving even faster than we than we thought. And we uh, wanted to write radically human to talk about where this is really going and broaden the dialogue. Mm -hmm. uh, whereas human plus machine talked, you know, more specifically about artificial intelligence. Uh, we're broadening the lens and talking about other uh, implications uh, that we see from a technology landscape and why for the future, we believe that the, you know, if you think about the intersection of technology and human ingenuity, you know, put together the best of you know, humans and the best of technology, you know, which is what we talked about in human plus machine. If, when you really put that together the right way, that it's creating radically human capability and potential. And that's what we're writing about in the book. Very good. So what taking into account that it builds on human plus machine, what's new and noteworthy that you cover in radically human? Yeah, well, it's, it's all, um, it's, uh, it's, it's really a, a whole new set of, uh, of, uh, research that we did for this and it's uh it's fundamentally you know new way of thinking about how you take your business into the future that's what we're you know trying to put in here it's kind of a roadmap to thinking about how to how to get to this radically human uh future so the research that we did was um highlighted some interesting interesting things uh, one of which uh, was um that uh, we, we started this research just before COVID, or before COVID. And before COVID, the research highlighted that digital leaders were outpacing laggards by a factor of 2x. You know, so digital leaders outperforming the rest by uh, the laggards by 2x. And then COVID happened and everything got thrown up into the air. And like, and uh, as you know, some things accelerated, some things, you know, some things got set back. So we redid the research. And uh, we were frankly surprised by the results. And this is right as we're writing the book. Um, and it came back and said that, you know, COVID is results of COVID. Um, the leaders were still ahead, but, but they were, uh, the gap had widened to 5X. So <laughs> because I, technology was the lifeline during COVID and those that were more advanced uh, in, in using technology, more advanced digital companies were outpacing the rest even more. And we also identified a category of leapfroggers. This is about 15% of companies 
that were, rat were dramatically accelerating and flipping the table by focusing more on innovation to leapfrog the rest. So you have 10% of leaders and about 15% of leapfroggers that were really setting themselves apart. And then looking at how those companies operated, uh, it really validated uh, a lot of the ideas we had for radically human and became, you know, you know, you know what you know became what we studied to look at the uh, the framework. And we came up with a, a framework that we called the Ideas Framework. It's five things that we believe are um, essential, you know, to get right. It's uh, about the future. It's about intelligence is the I, data, expertise. Uh, architecture and strategies. Those are five things to get right. And we're really flipping the conventional wisdom a bit on each one of those. Uh, and uh, we, so we, you know, we, you know, Jim, my co-author and I talk about, you know, the big flip in, our, in assumptions that you need to take with the ideas framework to, you know, to get to the future in a different way. And that's the, that's what we're laying out for people is how to reframe some of their assumptions and think differently about how to get to the future along the ideas dimensions. Great. So can you take us through this ideas framework and maybe give us some examples for each of the stages? Yeah, yeah. No, the um, uh, maybe start with um, uh, the first one, which is, uh, is is intelligence, where we talk about um, uh, you know, making human, uh, sorry, making uh, AI more human and less artificial. And this is maybe the, the bridge, so to speak, to human plus machine. And what we're talking about here is... Um, is uh, new, you know, is how to apply AI in a way that's more human, uh, which enhances human, you know, potential and capability, and uh, using forms, new forms of AI that are, you know, kind of, kind of more powerful uh, as well and have more human-like capabilities. So it's combining the two ideas, and um, and so there's new techniques that we talk about in here, like common sense AI. Mm -hmm. um, uh, we talk about emotional AI uh, a bit in here as well. Uh, that can uh, better you know with ai itself the systems themselves can have more human capabilities and some may say well that, isn't that a bad thing you know there are you know it, but that's that's again what we talked about in human plus machine that's a good thing because if the technology has a more human interface it can help us be more effective in using it and can solve more of the problems that help us solve problems more effectively so that's what we're talking about in uh, in um in uh, intelligence we talk about a manufacturer uh in there an electronics um uh, it's actually electronics wholesaler we talk about called Obata. And uh, the way they use AI, and they use AI from a company called Covariant um, to, uh, to help um, human workers uh, assemble, the, uh, you know, assemble the goods that they need to ship more effectively. And it's uh, an interface between the humans and, and robots you know, that, that's uh, powered by uh, this human-like artificial intelligence where the, where the, uh, the workers can, uh, can help uh, guide the, uh, the robotic uh, equipment to, to package and deliver the equipment in the right way. So it's really, again, a, a fusion, like we talked about in Human Plus Machine, of those of those skills to deliver that kind of impact. And the, the, the message here is that there's new forms of AI coming along continuously that mm -hmm. you can capitalize on as a company to help you do these things more effectively. Very good. And the other parts of the framework? Yeah, so data is a, data is an interesting one. This one is a surprising one. And the good thing about you know, any any book is to be a little bit provocative and you can uh, can have some good discussions and debate. So with data, we're, you know, the, all the focus has been on big data. And with uh, with data, what we're talking about is sometimes it's the small data that makes a difference. So the subtitle of this part of the book is from uh, from maximum to minimum and then back again. And, um, and the point is that, it, yes, big data is important. Everybody's building their data lakes and uh, these massive transformer models uh, with billions of parameters, those things serve a purpose. Uh, but that's not where it's all at. And for many organizations and for you know, for many things that 
that companies need to do, the small data could be what's what makes the biggest difference for you. And the trends in technology are leading this direction. Uh, you know, given what's you know the the um, what's happening in the world and more technology being pushed to the edge, um, and uh, more. Uh, pervasive operational technology, more devices, all more devices uh, extended, more, more AI is going to need to, you know, more algorithms are going to need to run on the edge, not back in your centralized, uh, you know, centralized data lakes and things, which is going to require, again, figuring out how do you filter the right data and use the techniques for that filtering uh, using new techniques like dynamic filtering, as an example. And how do you apply algorithms at the edge to decide, you know, for that device, what to do you know, at that point of need, rather than going back and forth to your data center your cloud environment. Uh, there's also uh, new uh, new techniques in here, um, like few shot learning. And we talk about, you know, trading these, you know, massive, uh, use massive data sets to train algorithms. Well, there's new techniques like few shot learning, because there's some things where you, you might only need an image or two to train an algorithm to do the right thing. And using and understanding these, you know, these techniques of few shot learning, which might be more applicable in some of your processes than big data learning algorithms, mm -hmm. And by the way, they're much easier, you know, much uh, easier to develop and consume a lot less computing capability, have a lot less carbon impact, et cetera, mm -hmm. are, are important for you to understand as well. So those are the, the types of things we, we talk about um, in this area. And one of, the, one of the interesting companies we talk about is Wayfair and uh, how they use these types of techniques in their, um, in their uh, suggestion and recommendation algorithms to much more effectively and quickly get the right recommendations to customers in real time. Very good. And the E part of your ideas framework? Yeah, it's an interesting one too. It's uh, expertise, and it's about um, it's about uh, moving from machine learning, you know, with you know, algorithms learning to machine teaching, where people are teaching machines. And uh, we talk uh, we talk about three types of expertise that humans have that really need to be uh, conveyed, you know, to machines. And, and, and these are get to new roles and new ways of people working with the technology, this radically human type of approach. There's professional expertise, which is, you know, really ingrained um, knowledge you've gained over a long period of time. There's collective experience, like the hive, you know, wisdom of the crowd type of uh, expertise. And then there's personal expertise, what, what you, you know, and judgment that you may have. And all those uh, forms of expertise are important to think about, you know, as you design systems and design processes, how do you how do you leverage the radically human expertise in the right way to direct uh, what you, you know, what you do? And that's the um, uh, it, one of the examples we, we talk about in the book. Just to make this more concrete, in the professional expertise category, uh, we talk about Etsy, you know, the uh, the uh, the uh, online marketplace, and how they've used this idea around professional expertise to to systemize the idea of design aesthetics. So design is very important to Etsy if you've used it and design and categorization of things is really important. And they've, they've, um, they've, you know, used uh, this uh, idea of uh, machine teaching to use professionals who understand design aesthetics to more effectively bake that into what they do in, in their online marketplace. Yeah. Fascinating. And then we've got the A part of your ideas framework. Yeah. Architecture. And this is a, uh, this is, one for all the, the technologists, I guess, but it, it matters to the 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 to uh, leaders as well. And I I find I spend a lot more time today talking to CEOs and even boards about architecture and detailed mm -hmm. technology architecture decisions than I ever have because uh, at the point of this architecture 
trend, which is or architecture chapter, which is titled from legacy to living systems, is you need to make very careful decisions on how you build your future state architecture, because if you make the wrong decision, it may inhibit what you can do as a business. And um, we talk about a number of uh, number of examples uh, in the in the book. But the the uh, uh, the idea is how do you create more flexible systems? It's about you know th- some concepts that are not necessarily new microservices and APIs and uh, and the like. But how do you develop that in a way where it's more living system? It can live and evolve more of a biological type of view of the system than the static layered view of mm-hmm. architecture. And we talk about you moving from a layered view to more of a biological living systems view of the way that you, you view your architecture. And I think of companies, you know, you can use the COVID experience to look at how companies needed this idea of living systems. One of the examples we talk about is Starbucks, who during the um, during the COVID crisis, you know, what, what did they do? They had a mobile app already. They had a flexible architecture. They were able to push out a new app with uh, new capabilities. It had uh, microservices. They could partner with DoorDash and Uber Eats and other services to, to deliver new uh, uh, delivery and other experiences uh, to customers on how to use their products. They could uh, they extended the online ordering to be 90% of their ordering. All that was done extremely quickly because of the flexible architecture and technology foundation that enabled them to do that. Very good. And the last one is strategy. Yeah. Do you want to explain that? Yeah, this is the one. Like this, is, there's always a surprise when you write a book. <laughs> we didn't we didn't go into this intending to talk about uh, strategy. This kind of emerged as we were looking at the patterns we saw, and so we uh, this is was kind of the discovery you know process of the research and writing the book. We kind of realized that there's there's different pathways on strategy for those those what I talked about earlier that the, the leaders and leapfroggers that were finding their way forward uh, in a better way. And so we talk about these, uh, you know, these new strategies of, uh, we talk about three new ones um, and uh, we named them creatively. So people would remember them forever. Beta is the first, and this is a business strategies, not technology strategies. Forever beta is the first uh, MVI uh, minimum viable ideas. Uh, I'll talk about that in a minute. And then collab, now collab. And it's not just collaboration, it's collab, lab being science, you know, is, is the idea there. And uh, those are three strategies that we, we talk about. I think it's I think this is important because you do need to think about strategy differently in this radically human area. You can't think about the business strategy uh, the, the way you did in the past. You don't have multiple years to execute a strategy. And you can't think about the business strategy separate than technology. And that's the point we're making. Just to give you an example, Forever Beta, we talk about Tesla. And the, the you know the Tesla the car is never done. There are new software updates, uh, changing characteristics, changing the the clearance of all the Tesla cars in real time. If you know as uh, as they did when they they had one of their early incidents and continually upgrading and and changing. And that's and it's not just the, the technical features of the car. It's the way that the you know, whole business operates from that they build it out. And that forever beta as a strategy is more and more important to companies in this platform driven digital radically human world we're moving into. The other one I'll just touch on is collab because this is about collaboration is one one part of it, but it's co hyphen lab because we're talking about science coming together with your the technology strategy. We talk about Moderna as an example, you know, in this one and how Moderna was was able to so rapidly innovate using new technologies. Um, a, a drug design studio using convolutional neural networks powered by uh, cloud ca- public cloud capability to rapidly innovate on a messenger RNA vaccine because the scientists 
the science combined with the technology, the scientists combined with the technologists to allow that to happen was, you know, the foundation of how they were building their their processes and such. And that's uh, another strategy that uh, we think is more and more relevant uh, in the future, given how how much technology is disrupting and changing the way science is done. And the science is the foundation of so many industries. Dragon, do, do you see this ideas framework being applied sequentially or do you take all of the components at the same time and look at your strategy? I, I think it, I would recommend recommend you you do think of it all at the same time, and then there's parts of it, you know, like any other plan. When you put it, when you put the plan to action, you need to choose which pieces to do at at what point in time. I think the strategy is really important to consider as you start and frame what you're doing, and then the uh, the rest of the ideas pieces are um, are are all important to consider. And then you need to decide in your environment uh, where do you start? Do you start with the architecture because of what you need to enable, or is it you know, with the data, you know, these are you know, questions that uh, that every company faces. Mm. Another really interesting part of the book zeroes in on sustainability and how advancements in technology need to walk hand in hand with um, the, the way our world is changing and we're trying to combat climate change. You talk about how everything from the cloud to electric vehicles can really contribute to this um, along with Uh, applying AI and, and moving it from red to green. Uh, can you expand on, on this a little? Yeah, it's really important point. And this is, again, something that, um, again, we, we we knew this was a, a topic we wanted to cover going into the book, but we got really interesting as we dug into it and we saw how integral this was to mm. Radically Human. Uh, so the, the, the headline is that um, about uh, 10 years ago, uh, technology emissions globally were about 4% of total emissions. And that's, um, you know, that's uh, moved up to something like 6%, I think now, and projected to be up to 14% by uh, 2040. Mm -hmm. And that would be disastrous if that's to happen. And it would be counter to every move we need to make as a society in reducing emissions. So as a call to action of, of turning, uh, you know, turning technology from, red to green because technology is red in terms of its impact it's burning carbon in fact there used to be a phrase in silicon valley which was burn as much silicon as you can because hardware's hardware's inexpensive and, and software was where where it's at that philosophy needs to change to be you know to drive around efficiency the last one tenth of one percent of precision you drive in your deep learning model could use three or four times the carbon capacity and do you need that precision is the trade-off worth it um, uh, And such. So those are the types of questions we're asking and, and things we're looking at in the sustainability uh, uh, sense of um, it's just sustainability piece of radically human. And I think those are important choices. We don't have all the answers in there because I think they're, they're, the answers we don't the answers aren't obvious yet in terms of all the, the things we need to do here. But there's some things that are clear. You know, generally speaking, moving to the hyperscaler clouds tends to be more carbon efficient than the than the data centers companies operate in by a by a good stretch. And we we show some of the data on that in the book. Um, the uh, there's there's other forms around green uh, IT. We formed a something called the Green Software Foundation. Uh, we launched it with Microsoft and GitHub and a number of other organizations. And it's an open source foundation to everybody collecting their best ideas on, on uh, green, you know, green IT. And one of the, one of the things is just basic uh, device management and, and uh, you know, shutting off screens more has a massive impact when you look at the energy they consume. Uh, and other, other simple things like choice of programming language matters. Mm. You know, uh, Python consumes a lot more compute 
than Java does, you know, mm-hmm. uh, things like that. So again, not saying everybody should change programming languages overnight, but these are these need to be considered more in mm-hmm. the uh, development process than we consider them today. Very good. Yeah, huge, hugely important. Finally, let's talk a bit, little bit about the important topic of technology and trust. In the book, you argue that capitalism runs on trust and that trust is probably our most radically human instinct. Yeah. You also talk about the five essentials of trust in the digital age. Can you give us an overview of what you mean here and maybe briefly summarize these five essentials? Yeah, I, I trust is, you know, thank you for asking the question, because trust is just so essential to, to radical human and to getting this all right. And um, so we, we go into a lot of depth uh, on this in that in that chapter. Uh, and it's at the heart of a lot of the that's, a, that's at the heart of a lot of the, the things that I've that I've always done. I think this trust point is really the important thing that we we need to um, we need to tackle as an industry. And um, the five principles we talk about in, in terms of how to build the trust are around um, humanity, fairness, transparency, privacy, and security, which all sound like good things, but but they're the, the really thinking about those carefully is what we, and, and how do you build on those to really have the outcome be trust in, with your consumers, trust with your stakeholders, trust with your employees, which is critical in the, uh, in the digital age we're in, in the radically human era going forward. And I think about it as like a, a Maslow's hierarchy in some respect, you got to, you got to build from the foundation. So it starts with security. If you can't Mm -hmm. secure, you know, customers information or an employee's information, you're never going to have trust. It starts with security. Then it's privacy about, you know, do you use it appropriately and not share it with the wrong people? Then it's transparency. So, you know, so, uh, you know, people trust how you're going to use the information. Then it's about fairness of, uh, are you using the information, uh, you know, to make, you know, to, deliver fair outcomes rather than biased outcomes, you know, or having biased algorithms and such, or making t- decisions that have bias in them, you know, mm-hmm. by, by virtue of the algorithms you use. And then finally, is it uh, human in terms of it, if it's impact? So you kind of have to build these up. And uh, I think you need to evaluate, a company needs to evaluate every process you have and how you use data at every stage of, of every process to make sure you're building uh, this trust in using these five essentials uh, in the way that I described. Excellent. So if you said these are my top takeaways that people should take away from your book, what would those be? I think it's it's uh, challenge your thinking on the, the five uh, the, the assumptions that we talk about, the ideas framework and challenge the assumption, look at each one of those and you know, challenge your thinking on how you're approaching it because you may end up with a different result. That's the first message I'd say. And again, I, I, uh, the other would be you know, we are moving to the future where it's about, you know, human potential and human talent. I really, for as much as I've talked about technology as part of this, the human potential is going to be the biggest different differentiator for organizations going forward. That human ingenuity will be your biggest differentiator. And are you really thinking about that as you're designing, you know, every part of your company? And again, that's what we're trying to ground back to in the ideas framework is how do you make sure you come out with human potential being maximized and human ingenuity being at the core. And then when you part, if you do that and you put that human ingenuity together, you know, with the technology, you're going to have an unbeatable formula, you know, that's going to be the radically human formula that's going to guide you to success. Very good. So what are your hopes and predictions of how people will use the ideas in your book? I, I hope, uh, I hope uh, you know, businesses embrace it immediately. 
you know, to set themselves on this on this course uh, you know, from a radically human perspective. And I think it's I think it's useful information and a guide that'll help, you know, help any company, you know, t- take uh, take their business forward and, and uh, you know, not just do things differently, but be more innovative, be more competitive, uh, be more, you know, human in their approach uh, in terms of the trust they're, you know, they're generating with their customers and employees and other stakeholders, as I said. Uh, I hope I think it's also hopefully something that can be a guide to people reading it. 